Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is former online MTT poker professional, Luciana Manolai. Many apologies, Lucy, if you're listening for butchering your last name. I'm going to put the blame squarely on my fat heathen tongue. Lucy's poker journey spans over 10 years, where she's cashed for over $4.5 million in her combined live and online multi-table tournament poker career. Lucy considers her poker origin story a fortunate accident while she was in college studying computer science. It was there that she realized the heart-pumping thrill of competition was in her blood, not ones and zeros, and she made the life-altering decision after getting her degree to go pro instead of sitting in a chair pumping out computer code all day. Even though her parents weren't initially thrilled about it, from there she was off to the races where she carved out an extremely successful poker career. In the conversation you're about to listen to, you're going to learn how insane multi-table poker tournament variants can really be in a story that makes this poker podcast host's blood run cold. Lucy's new metaphorical mountain she's gearing up to climb. Hint, it involves the world of cryptocurrency. How she systematically goes about trying to overcome her cognitive biases so that she can be the best version of herself and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you fearsome Romanian crusher of souls, Luciana Menolai. Luciana, good afternoon. How are you doing? Hey, hey. Uh, good to hear you. Good to see you. I'm good. Nice to see you as well. Uh, welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. And as we do here in these parts start off the show asking about your story. Could you start with, you know, how old you are, how long you've been playing poker and sort of how did you find the game of cards? Of course. Yeah. So uh, I'm 32 and uh, I'm playing for over 10 years now. I started during university. Uh, I was studying computer science. It was just kind of a a fortunate accident that uh, I found poker, really. And uh, of course, as you know, back then, uh, the games were kind of softer. I mean, they were. I think you agree with that. I mean, this is always the case, though, right? Like, I think that yeah. as time goes on, the game just evolves. And, you know, one of the smartest poker minds that I've ever talked to told me one time, and this was probably 15 years ago, that, you know, the game will always be profitable. It's just deeper in the decision tree, right? And that's sort of what we see is when the early decisions in the tree are kind of automatic, the edge just comes from, you know, the more complex spots that happen, you know, on the turn or using some sort of different sizings and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. 
so yeah, I I just I just I just played play money for like two months and then I just read on the internet just the basic rules. And How did you find poker? What was the what was the happy accident that you know put poker on your radar? Uh, just like as like I said, just a, a fortunate accident, really. I've just heard from multiple uh, sources that uh, there's people that actually make good money with that. So then, I, so then <laughs> I figured, why not try it? You know. Sure. Did you have an interest so, uh, in cards early early in your no, life? Not, Games, not competition. Really. No, no, not really. But uh, to be honest, uh, competition has to be in my blood for sure. <laughs> it just I didn't find it earlier. You know. Yeah. I, I, I was a bit too nerdy during uh, high school. I was just uh, reading a lot. Well, that nerdiness serves you very well in the in the world of poker. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so then I started playing sit and goes, and uh, I was fortunate that I kind of won from the beginning. You know, because I had no money. I was a student, right? So mm-hmm. if if you run bad in the beginning as a student probably you're not going to become a professional poker player, if you know what I mean. But uh, for me, so I just started to win from the beginning and, uh, yeah, started playing sit and goes. And after that, I transitioned to tournaments. Um, I also got lucky in some free roll in the, in the beginning, some party poker free roll, free roll. I recall I was very happy that I won three $3,000. That was good money back then, you know? Yeah, that's a great bankroll boost when you are starting with zero uh a 3k injections pretty huge yeah uh talking about that i recall that you were talking to uh, to some guest of yours uh that uh, even if uh, later on in your poker career you actually get to have some really big scores uh, somehow still uh the ones from the beginning even smaller they have a m- more powerful e- impact on you you know it was it was kind of the same for me and except that free roll, really uh, the score that had the most powerful impact on me was a 10K score, but also from my first year of playing in a $3 rebuy. You know, tell me, that was, yeah, tell me how that felt, the, those first couple of scores where, you know, you're in school, you're a student, you're not making a lot of money, you don't have a lot of money. Um, tell me how it felt to hit those scores. Yeah, so the, the 10K was really life-changing. <laughs> it really was. Uh, I'm curious to hear uh, about you, about uh, your first uh, big wins in uh, in poker. So in, in the beginning for me, you know, I was around 20 years old and I had been working as a waiter at a restaurant and saving my money. And I remember my first sessions, you know, I would call my friends and be like, yeah, I won like 600. Yeah, I won like 700. Yeah, I, I won the high hand bonus, which was like $500. And you know, back then, my best day as an adult was a Valentine's Day where I made $200 in tips. Like that was the, the most money that I had ever made in a day. So like going to poker and experiencing that kind of success early on was really big for me and it was exciting. And then my first big score was uh, 200 on party poker. It was a nightly um, 200K guaranteed. 200 plus 15, I believe, buy-in. Back in those days, party had, they had 200K guarantees every single night, uh, every Mm -hmm. single day of the week. And I just bought in and really, (laughs) I hadn't played very many tournaments. I had played a a, a fair amount of live cash at that that time. And 
I just ran good. Like I, I was just, I just remember thinking like, well, I'm getting kind of short on chips now. It'd be nice to get a good hand and then I would get Kings and just double through. And it was like, Oh, cool. Like, and then it kept going and eventually I'm at the final table and then, you know, we're playing down and I got fourth and it was for 15 K. Nice. And that was like, like you said it to me, it was life-changing. I remember going to meet my friend because I had been playing poker like all night tournament ended. It was like 7 AM and I was pumped full of adrenaline and him and I were like throwing the football in this hotel parking lot. Like, I just remember like being so pumped up, that like, Holy shit. I just scored for 15 K and yeah, that, uh, for those folks who are familiar with my story, I, I moved to Florida and then I moved back home shortly after I won the 15 K because then it was like my bankroll was around 20,000. Of course I, I knew everything about poker then. Like I was obviously <laughs> a tournament pro and it was like, yeah, like I'm going to do the online poker thing with, with my bankroll. And yeah, so I moved back home and then effectively played online poker till black Friday in 2011. Nice. Yeah, it was, uh, but again, like, that excitement is, is maybe the peak excitement that I felt playing cards where it was yeah. like, this changes things, right? Like this changes the trajectory of like, now I have hope that, that I can actually make exactly. this poker thing a career. Um, exactly. Yeah. So hopping back to you, you know, you, you hit your 10 K you hit your three K you're in school yeah. for computer science. Did you graduate? Did you get your I degree? did. I did. Even if I flirted with the idea of putting it off for one year, of course, my parents weren't happy to hear that. And I figured, you know what, even if I also want to play, but it's better if I just get over with this degree, you know, even if I'm going to continue playing and not, not get a job. Because uh, the thing with me, with me back then, of course, when you're in your 20s, you do not know uh, yourself very well. but I still somehow realized I do not like the idea of a job, of a nine to five job. So that's why I, uh, I explored this different path. Yeah. And I, I think it's good too, to have your degree just in general, coming from somebody that like, you know, I, I took a year off between high school and college and that year has now lasted almost 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, I, I realized that like without, <laughs> without that redundancy, right? Like without a backup, you're kind of toast without, without poker, right? Like, I feel like I'm very qualified to coach poker and teach poker and have a poker podcast and play poker. Exactly. But then in the real world, my qualifications kind of go down. <laughs> I, I'm not, not really suited for very much out there. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. Uh, but what's the real world? Because cards playing, it's a very long activity in history. So as long as you can play cards, you can eat. Yeah. Really. And I think that was, I'll never forget my friend telling my mom at one point, you know, he, he just said like, Brad never has to have a job again for the rest of his life. And like, I just remember how that felt. It was like, holy shit, like he's right. I don't. And that was just a, yeah, it, it's a feeling that I, I'll never forget. It, it was very, yeah. I mean, it, poker was my dream and not having a boss was my dream. And to be able to realize yeah. that is, yeah, it, it's just such an amazing experience. 
Yeah, and it's just like like you said. I think uh, the free the freedom that it gives you is just priceless, really. Yeah, except that like when you're young and an idiot, that freedom is like a double edged sword where <laughs> you you have autonomy and you've got to be responsible for yourself, right? And and that things can go downhill very quickly yeah. with young kids having money and all the free time in the world. Absolutely, no, I I absolutely agree. But uh, it's it's the same with anything else, like money can be used for good or for bad or anything really so absolutely you said your parents weren't too thrilled about the prospect of you playing poker professionally when you when you graduated with your degree did you entertain getting a job did you get a job not at all not at all so i never had a job basically just because i was already winning a bit and if i wanted to get a job job back back then I mean, a job for uh, an entry-level programmer probably was like 500 bucks. So uh, you can imagine uh, it's not that hard to grind. 500 bucks? Five, yeah. 500. How, what, what period of time? Well, today, about 10 years ago. No, I mean 500 a month, 500 a week? Yeah, yeah, of course, a month. 500 a month? A month. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah we... We do it. Good Lord, that's six thousand a year. That's not. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, then I figured, yeah, it, it shouldn't be that hard. That hard to make close to that playing sit and goes. Uh, you know. So uh, yeah. So you, you just started grinding away. How, how did the beginning go? Were you successful from the get go? Yeah, or- pre- pretty much. Really, that's why I said that I was so lucky because. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just uh, I I played double or nothing for a really long time, for quite a long time actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also eighteen men, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. I tried all sit and goes really, but uh, I played most double or nothing, and I was kind of a steady winner in those low stakes. In those, of course. Double or nothing sit and goes. That's where yeah. you. Is it like ten person and then yeah. five people double their money? Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. It's very, very basic stuff. So uh, after that, just started to play uh, tournaments and yeah, quit the sit and goes and kept playing tournaments for a very long time. At what point did your parents come on board? Uh, well, I was already winning. So they, uh, I was already sure I wasn't going to get the job. And I just told, I told them that and that is it. They have to <laughs> accept it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they have no choice. You're, you're, yeah making your own decisions. That's the beauty of being an adult. You can kind of do what you want to do. So why why the transition from sit and goes to MTTs and never going back to sit and goes? Oh uh, well it's oh I'm I'm gonna get to that later on. It's not that I never going back to sit and goes. Okay, okay. <laughs> um well no uh, I just got uh so by mistake again I found MTTs. And I just saw, you know, all those guarantees, the, that $3 rebuy, I don't know, it was quite a high guarantee back then, you know? So, uh, yeah, all these promotions and satellites and stuff. So I, I think it's the natural part. If you start playing sitting goals, then you're going to find MTTs. So. Yeah, you, you know how to play the final table. You're, you're yeah. halfway there. <laughs> you just got to get to the final table at that point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. How, how did you tackle learning MTTs, like being a computer scientist, how did you go about educating yourself in the sit and goes and the MTT worlds? 
Okay, well, uh, the sit and go work I just did myself uh, using the programs. Back then it was sit and go wizard. And after that, ICMizer I used for a very long time and I still have it. And for MTTs, uh, I took a lot of coaching. I paid a lot of money to get coaching, really. And what are we talking here? Like as far as like a monthly investment into coaching? Uh, well, uh, no, because uh, I'm not that kind of person. I am not steady. Uh, so I I invested, I, let's say in one year, I took a lot of coaching or two years, I took a lot of coaching. But uh, other than coaching, I still studied myself. I still had uh, subscriptions for card runners and uh, all some platforms like that, you know. And uh, well, exactly in the beginning, uh, I was also on the message boards. That's how I found people. That's how I found coaches. Yeah. Yeah. The the old two plus two. Yeah. In pocket fives, I, I was more uh, more of a frequent poster on pocket fives. Right. I actually made videos for card runners um, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, seven or eight years ago before they, mm-hmm. right before awesome. they went out of business. Yeah. Um, awesome. I really liked those guys, the the people that ran card runners and card runners was the first training site, you know, for me playing cash games was like Brian Townsend and Cole South. And those guys were like, it was like otherworldly seeing somebody perform at the levels that they were performing. It was very eye opening for somebody that thought they were playing poker pretty well. And then watching those videos was like, Holy shit. Like this is, this is next level. Um, would, if you had to do it over again, knowing what you know now, would you have still done the same, taken the same path as it relates to your poker education? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I, do not, I don't see what mistakes I've made, made with, po- po- uh, with poker education. I've made mistakes with uh, game selection and uh, other kind of mistakes, but not exactly with education. Because I did, uh, I did uh, pretty much everything with education. So I talked to people. I was in Skype channels. I watched videos, uh, I, I did sims myself, uh, and I took coaching. I mean, I pretty much did everything. Yeah, you're fully immersed in the poker experience. And tell me about the game selection. What happened, what oh, happened with yeah. the game selection? Yeah, well, with the game selection, uh, I have this problem that uh, I like fast-paced tournaments. I, I mean, I always did, but uh, now it is known that there's no money in them, really. But I played, uh, my turbo ratio was really high, like 75% or so. And of course, what do you think it's going to happen when you play lots of turbos? The downswings will be bigger, really. Because you definitely, if, if, I, if I played like 70% regular speed tournaments and 30% turbos, the downswings wouldn't, shouldn't have been that high. And I mean, so yeah, I had... Two really, really big downswings. How big? Is, what are we talking well, like buy-ins? Yeah. So I think you already heard before, because I'm sure I'm not the first MTT player that has a 1,000 buy-in downswing. I had two of those. Holy shit. No, I... Yeah. I, I, I so I, the MTT world is very foreign to me. So a 1,000 buy-in downswing. Yeah, it sucks. I, can, I tell you this. I believe you. That is a freaking monster downswing. Holy crap. Like how do you how do you keep yourself sane when you're going through that? Uh so uh yeah, that that's pretty much what you said. It was really it it wasn't easy to recover from those. Uh but definitely game selection was a big problem, playing playing too many turbos and of course playing also too high. 
So uh, I had to also cut on turbos, and but mostly cut on the stakes, just play lower. How long and, does it take you to play a thousand tournaments? Uh, it it depends. But well, for uh, for you back then, like how many were you playing a month? We'll say six hundred, probably something seven hundred, something like that. Gotcha. Probably like yeah. seven hundred. Yeah. It's a lot of tournaments. Yeah. It's a lot of hours sitting there at your computer, getting smashed in the face over and over. <laughs> Yeah, it is. So, what? How did you come out of that thousand buy-in downswing? What was sort of the turning point? Well, I just kept powering through. Not much. I just played lower. I just reviewed. I reviewed more. I when whenever I was in a downswing, I used to review more because, of course, I'm not that eager to sit at the tables to play because I feel like I'm losing all the time. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, of course. It's the it's the hot stove, right? Like you've burned your hand and now you're a little tentative of approaching the stove again. Yeah. So then I would just study more during those. I uh, I would look through my poker tracker reports to see if my numbers look kind of okay. And uh, random hand histories, take small breaks, but that's all you can do pretty much. So you, you cut back on the turbos, you started playing more regulars and then... Play lower playing Definitely. lower yeah and then it just kind of naturally turned around over mm-hmm. time exactly yeah that's that's something whew, thousand buy-in downswing that's that's crazy from a cash game perspective like that's all <laughs> that's so many buy-ins it, it's so so many buy-ins what, what would you say is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey i i don't know if if unexpected is the right word um I've met a lot of great people. I am very thankful for that during traveling and also on the internet. Uh, that That's a blessing. Still friends with those folks you were interacting with on Pocket Fives and 2 Plus 2? Yeah, yeah. We still uh, keep in message each other uh, from time to time and stuff. That's awesome. Uh, that's That's great to hear. And that's something that's you know, it's been talked about many times on this podcast, but the relationships you make, the friendships that you make by being immersed in the poker world are one of the most valuable aspects of being a professional poker player. Definitely. Definitely. What does your process look like today for regularly improving your game? Uh, Well, uh, I'm not playing as much as I used to actually. Uh, And that's in the last couple of years. I'm kind of tr- transitioning. Uh, I'm making a career pivot, kind of, <laughs> uh, into tr- into trading. Uh, what what are you trading? Well, cryptocurrency. Ah, uh, the crypto. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, are you into that at all? Into. I mean, you can't not be into it when you're <laughs> in the poker space right? in the USA. So, yeah, I've I know my fair share about blockchain technology and yeah the crypto world that's good yeah that's what i figured indeed poker players are attracted to that also well in the u.s we have no choice right we don't have skrill or net teller to get money on and off poker platforms we are we have to live with bitcoin and you know make wallets and figure out how to use bitcoin and like figure out like you know, is this legit? Is that legit? What's the best process? And then, you know, for me, it was sort of this curiosity thing too. Like when Bitcoin was starting to become uh, fairly big, but maybe like 2014-ish, 
2015, I was just very interested in the technology and seeing how it worked. And like, I really wanted to know if there was a utility, a long-term utility for these cryptocurrencies. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I went down the rabbit hole. I educated myself and learned as much as I could. But the trading aspect of it, for one reason or another, was never that appealing to me. It felt so gambling. Like I just couldn't, I guess I couldn't figure out where the edge was and then wasn't willing to invest the time and to figure out, you know, how to realize that edge. But um, obviously, since that's what you're doing, let's have a conversation about crypto and trading crypto and why that resonates with you, especially as a, as a transition from online poker. Yeah, well, it's it's like it's like you said, it's gambling. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's for sure. It is gambling. So I'm training one form of gambling from for uh, another one. But uh, uh, let me tell you this, because well, for you, first of all, I envy you that you can play cash games. Because I really tried in my career <laughs> to play cash games, but for some reason, I just can't do it. I just don't have the patience, the motivation, and just tournaments are just so heartbreaking <laughs> they really are oh yeah they're like i only play like one tournament every year or two years and like get down to 35 people and then you bust and it's like why did i do that like it's just no matter what happens in any like i've never won one so like i've never well i've won them but not for like what i consider to be like a significant chunk of change like 50k plus like i've never had a 50k plus tournament score and yeah, it's just like you get like fourth and it's like, mm, so close. <laughs> like it's like, ah, I'm right there. Like I went through 1,500 people to get fourth. Like it's almost like a, I've never been satisfied with the tournament result. Yeah, well, tournaments are extremely satisfying. Like you said, when you win, which is not very often, but it's, it's the variance which you just cannot deny because uh, even if uh, I'm... I'm not going to have any more $1,000, $1,000 buy-in uh, downswings. I'm probably, you're still going to have as a MTT player, I don't know, 300, 400 buy-in downswings, you know? Yeah. And I just got older and I just don't want to do downswings anymore. Like seriously, <laughs> I don't want to do downswings anymore. I believe you. That like three or 400 buy and, and tournaments too, like a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Katz, who has played you know he's plays live cash i'm not even sure that he plays poker very much anymore but you know he, he made some final tables where like first place is like a million up top and you know they he gets like a 70 30 for all the money and loses and yeah. you know yeah. busts out like sixth and you know wins like whatever 100k or something like that and the person who wins it becomes like a name in tournament poker yeah. because they went over a million dollars and it's just like that is just so brutal to me. Like that you're playing a sit and go for life changing money. And if it's not your day, it's not your day. And there's just nothing that you can do about it. And like that, that to me is the sickness of multi-table tournaments. It's like, you, you just, you, you have to, I wonder how many folks were like more talented than the people who became names but just like ran bad in really big spots multiple times like you know that there's got to be so many folks like that exactly i listened to uh, to some episodes of yours uh, you're doing a great job and you are talking about this uh, this thing with chrissy this exact thing that 
it's it's life changing uh, if you run bad in those flips, like you mentioned at those big final tables. And you know that's kind of thing thing because I I just realized that and I just don't like that anymore. You know. Yeah, I I don't blame you. And yeah, coming from cash games, like the biggest downswing I've ever had in my entire career is twenty three buy-ins at cash. Oh my god! But that's because you're an amazing player for sure. <laughs> but, it has to be that. But like I, I have friends that you know it, it, it's twenty five or thirty or thirty five, but like cash, and we think we're running bad. Like we think like when we go on like a 15 or 20 buy-in downswing, we're like, oh, we're running like death. We can't do anything right. We can't get it together. A thousand blows my mind. Like that I, I can't even I, I can't even see it. it. It's so crazy. But yeah, it's pretty much as you said. Uh, the truth is with sit and goes, uh, as long as of course uh, you play one table sit and goes, because if you play 45 men or 180 men, those are more like small MTTs, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the single table ones, uh, I'm I'm confident that uh, again you shouldn't have big downswings in those. They should be comparable to the cash downswings. So sit and goes really uh, feel more like a job, and also I mean not just feel more like a job, but they're more more steady, you know. So Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the Master of Presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. Let's go back to the the trading, the crypto trading. Like, yeah. How did you? So I can see like you're obviously forged by fire as it relates to downswings and the gambling aspect of it, right? Like dealing with those massive downswings can only make you a more resilient and stronger human being. And yes. so the appeal of crypto and all of those swings. Tell me about entering that world. What training? 
you did, how you learned to trade crypto. Okay. Well, uh, so uh, actually, it was way more brutal than poker. <laughs> but the, that's the what thing... I was afraid of. That's no, why I no, never no, tried. No. no, look, listen, listen. Uh, I was entirely stupid. You would have done way better than me. Uh, and, and most other people would have done way better than me. Uh, and you got you got in way better than uh, way before me because I got in in 2017. But in 2017, I was financially illiterate. I had zero knowledge about financial markets whatsoever. So what what do these people do when they get in? They just buy and they never take profits and they just they just lose afterwards. That's kind of the first cycle, right? Yeah. And that, and that was me and. Uh, I put way too much money in and I lost it pretty much everything really. It's, wow. Yeah. And after, after I, uh, so I put it in kind of dollar cost average through 2017. And at the top, I was with my mom at the PCA in the Bahamas. And my mom was telling me to, to take the initial, the initial investment out. Uh, and she was telling me that I just did not listen. And at that time, I was 3.5x uh, on my money, so 350% profit, but mm -hmm. didn't take anything out. And yeah, that, that was it. Lost pretty much everything. And uh, it took me a really long time to emotionally recover from that. Not, not that uh, I will fully be recovered <laughs> at any point, probably, but... Uh, yeah, after that, after after losing, I just started to get serious about trading education. So instead of leaving the trading world, you decided to double down and yeah. go yeah. deeper. Yeah, but the thing is, for uh, after you put a lot of money in and with almost throwing darts in the dark, you make 350% in uh, eight months, you kind of realize... Mm, uh, this might, might be like a better, easier life if you know actually what you're doing, which wasn't my case, of course. But that's that's that was my thought process because if me throwing darts in the dark, knowing nothing, actually uh, managed to make three hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, imagine if you knew what was yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's what I thought, and uh, also just because um, I I've been playing poker for so long and. I, I kind of knew I'm supposed to move on from that. Uh, for some people, it's just normal after many years to transition into something else. Uh, I, I actually, I believe that can be good in many, many ways because uh, they say that uh, creativity comes from different fields, from people that, uh, you know, that are new in a field and stuff like that. Yeah, the overlap from taking your experience and knowledge from one field and then applying it to another field in ways that maybe other folks haven't because they don't have your yeah. background and your base. Exactly, exactly. And these two fields specifically seem correlated. Seem, it seems like my poker expertise would help me. Absolutely. I, I see that. Like the, a lot yeah. of the, the skills are directly translatable. Exactly, yeah. So after losing most everything, you, yeah. you dive in. How did you go about educating yourself, like gaining you know, financial literacy of the market? Well, so I toured four paid groups and I, I was just reading in those channels every day and then watched free stuff also on YouTube and then make my own charts and then stare at my own charts for a really long time. Yeah. And yeah, still, still try to get in trades and 
yeah, that was pretty much it. So you, you built your own models. Uh, yeah, well, I got more serious. I mean, I got more serious. Uh, I was serious during this whole time. It just, uh, I needed more time than I expected to recover emotionally. Because uh, even if uh, I, I could spot good trades for a long time ago, uh, actually executing, uh, executing them is something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I still have PTSD from, uh, from that huge loss. And uh, that, that was holding me back. So uh, pretty much like 10 months ago, I decided that uh, I'm going to quit my limiting beliefs that uh, I am not a programmer and uh, I'm going to start to override uh, my biases and override my, my PTSD by getting into automated trading. And what led to that moment? What led to that breakthrough? Because that's a very conscious decision to, to go about things that way. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you know how it is with all these big decisions. It's not always. Uh, it's always lots of factors that that contribute to it. So I listen to tons of podcasts, uh, trading podcasts, uh, very inspiring stuff. Uh, one guy uh, that said uh, profitable every month for five years. Uh, I mean, only the title, only the title. When when you hear that. I, I just realized, well, that's a way better life than tournament poker because <laughs> tournament poker, it was, it was like for me, break even for uh, 1.5 years. And, you know, you know yeah, after, uh, after 30, you don't want to live like that anymore. Yeah, that's, that's not fun. Break even for 1.5 years. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. So it happened to me, but it happened to some other fellows of mine. Uh, well, not that, that I put that much volume in during that time because I was also trading on the side. So basically, I, I, I was split between these two for the past couple of years. So you decided to ditch your self-limiting beliefs. And by the way, there, yeah. there's a lot of connection here as it relates to poker and you know, seeing the trade, executing the trade, but having the, your emotions flare up and the PTSD and not executing it. I think it is something that I see as it relates to my students on a regular basis. Like we train for things and then when the situation happens in <laughs> game, they can't make themselves click the right buttons. They just, yeah. they just can't execute. Right. And like forever yeah. I ask myself, why is this happening? Why do some people execute just sort of automatically and other people just can't make themselves do it. And what I, finally realized was it's just an emotional thing like they just they feel their emotions their emotions overwhelm them and then they construct a narrative in their mind that makes what they know to be the right decision not look as appealing and makes a their emotions make a case for choosing an inferior decision because it makes them feel comfortable right and i think that's like yeah it's one of the biggest barriers to overcome as it relates to playing good solid winning poker is like yeah, your overbet rip on the river may have gotten called the last four times, but that doesn't mean that they were bad bluffs and we still have to do it time number five, right? Like we still have to, yeah. ex even though we're getting our heads beat in and none of them are working, you still have to keep keep doing it. Um, and it's very easy for your emotions to kind of take the wheel and cause you to start passing up on some, you know, good plus EV spots, which of course makes the downswing last longer. It, it makes your results poorer. And it's all this vicious cycle. 
Yeah, but it's just it's just so hard, really. When you're running bad, when you're running bad, it's just so hard to still execute on those uh, plus CV moves. Like yes, said. and the people that say like, you know, leave your emotions to the side, like your emotions have no place in poker. Yada, like, dude, we're born with emotions. We have no yeah. choice. We can't just like, you know, it's like if you you know go through like a, a terrible divorce, right? And you like get devastated or depressed. You can't just say, oh, I don't want to be depressed. Let me just flip the switch and I'm going to feel happy and good now, right? Like, no, you feel your emotions and you can't get rid of them. You can't push them down. And that's just, you know, the classic logical, analytical poker player mistake. It's like, yeah, we're not going to quantify the emotions. We're not going to look at them. Like, we just pretend like you're a robot when you play poker. And it's like, dude, you can't, nobody can do that. Like, because that's not how we're bored. It's not our biology. Yeah, definitely. So you start executing, right? How, how did things go once you made that uh, decision? Uh, well, no, it was... Uh, so basically, that's the thing, because with automated trading, that, that's the, the advantage. <laughs> it, it does you it do itself. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah, you do not execute it anymore because uh, it places orders for you. It cancels orders for you. So you're, you're just programming it to, to, yeah, to just do it accordingly. Yeah, you had to press the button though. You had to turn it on. <laughs> well, well, pretty much, yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm just gonna do that soon because uh, I actually worked for over nine months on the strategy itself because uh, I wanted to be, I, I, I wanted to be happy with what I have and to like it how it looks on the charts, and that's a really tedious work. I believe you. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's extremely, it's extremely exciting. Uh, Definitely as exciting as poker, really. And you haven't, so you haven't flipped it on yet? The, the bot's no. not going yet? No, no. Gotcha. We, we, well, I have to have you back on in a year or so <laughs> to see what, what happened when you, you turn the lights on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have, I have big plans. I'm really optimistic about it. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I have something good, really. Awesome. Uh, I definitely want to know how that story plays out and i guess now since this is a poker podcast we can go back to the to the poker aspect of the podcast when you think about joy in your career playing cards what's the first memory that comes to mind uh well it's the same that i already told you about that's still my biggest but after that of course naturally living uh waiting a life poker tournament so yeah yeah tell me about that the the feeling of winning a live poker tournament how, how did you, how did you feel? Were you nervous at the final table? Like what were, what were the thoughts going on in your mind? Uh, that, that, that's actually a quite a, quite a funny story actually. So, um, uh, you, you are also talking about that with one of our guests about those, uh, even if myself, I don't necessarily believe in that, uh, they're called kind of synchronicities or something like that, but just some interesting moments in time. So I was in Prague. I just arrived. Uh, I just arrived in Prague, and uh, I was uh, chatting with one of my friends, which was also one of my former coaches. Actually, my first coach. And uh, I had an re- extremely early morning flight, and I I barely got any sleep one night before. Barely got any sleep, and uh, I was I was telling my friend, you know that uh, during this Prague trip. I'm going to win. So I was young and stupid, really. So, I mean, literally young and stupid. Not that young, but stupid for sure. So, young and stupid are like directly <laughs> related to each other. 
so I'm telling him during this Prague trip, I'm going to win something. And he goes, Lucy, I, let's just make a bet right now. Let's, let, how much do you want to bet? I, I pay, uh, I, I, I bet half my bankroll that you're not winning anything during, during this uh, Prague trip. I did not take the bet. However, in exact same night, it is the night that I won the first event that I played uh, when I arrived in Prague. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. I wouldn't have taken the bet either. Uh, you would have had to give some pretty good odds to take down an event, but holy cow. Like that's, um, how excited was your, your first coach when you, when you took the oh, tournament? He was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe it. I, I could have lost half my bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane Lucy congrats yeah he was happy for me of course I think like sometimes you put it out there in the universe and when you're young and naive like it's so weird how these things that are so far-fetched just have a way of happening like when you're just too dumb to know any better like you just haven't experienced any of the the really bad stuff so yeah it's actually yeah, kind of unsurprising even though it's it's a long shot, but like yes. all the things that I did early in my poker career, like I didn't know my head from a hole in the ground and how I made it out alive and with money is <laughs> totally beyond my ability to logically understand other than like I was young and somewhat fearless and arrogant, right? Like I had this belief in myself that was like not rooted in reality, but it still allowed me to be fearless and execute and do some things that, that, you know, I'm very proud of. And that powered me through that early stage of my career. And I, I think that like, you kind of need that experience, the, the really fearlessness do. as a young kid. You really do. Absolutely. It's pretty much what you described. Yeah. If you don't, if you experience a thousand doubt, thousand tournament downswing, like when you're first starting, you never, <laughs> you're never yeah. going to recover from that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the opposite question, and we probably talked about this too, but the the pain question, I have to imagine it's going to be one of those thousand buy-in downswings. Maybe maybe the crypto. Both of those would sound pretty painful. Uh, yeah, the crypto was way worse. Like I told you, crypto way worse. Tell me about that. Like, so 2017. What was the the time period? Was that right at the crypto boom when Bitcoin shot up to like? 20k for like a day and then so so uh, uh, so basically yeah uh, during 2017 bitcoin uh was in a bull market i mean all the crypto market was in a bull market and the top of bitcoin was in december 2017 and pretty much uh, after that for one more month for 1.5 more months the altcoins were still going haywire yeah they were going nuts i remember the hard fork and bitcoin cash was like worth over two twenty four hundred at one point. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I <laughs> I do remember those days um, because I remember there were poker players who had like Bitcoin was at fifteen k and people were putting like seventy five percent of their bankroll just in Bitcoin and a lot of the live poker games were drying up because you know it, it went down to around three k. It hovered around that area, went to 5K. Like it was a long road to where we're at today. And where we're at today is pretty just unbelievable to me. Yeah, but you know, you know, in the crypto world, uh, everybody's joking with this 
thing that uh, everybody asks, is it too late to get in Bitcoin? <laughs> and the thing is, yeah, it's what you said, 40K is unbelievable. But uh, what if uh, three years from now, it's uh, really 250K or something? <laughs> then that's better. <laughs> then it's much harder to own a Bitcoin um, at yeah. that point. I think that like, the thing about crypto that has to happen is the UI and just being able to spend the Bitcoin, having it be like an actual currency. Because right now, it's not something that a lot of people use on a regular basis to actually buy things. It's more of like a storage type of type of unit. But yeah, I think like whenever whenever the UI gets fixed, and also I think the, one of the major problems, at least from my perspective, is that it's hardcore, right? Like Bitcoin specifically is like you make a transaction, you fuck it up, you lose. <laughs> you, yeah. you lose everything, right? Like so for yeah the the you know, for my grandmother, you know, who's almost 80 years old, like there's no chance she has no insurance. Like she's liable for any mistake that she makes liable for fraud or scams and all these things. I I think that's something that like Bitcoin has to figure out before it reaches um, just the utility that I think will make it ultra valuable. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, more stuff than me about the technical stuff and that uh, it, it shows that you got in uh, way earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I how I got in is kind of funny. I, I did a cash out on Ignition and it processed and like I went to sleep and it was like for 5K and I woke up and checked my... Actually, no, I did the cash out and then I went to sell it, but I fucked up the sale and it was still in my wallet. So like I checked it the next day and I was like, Holy shit, I didn't I didn't sell it. And it was worth like fifty six hundred. And I was like, oh wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made six hundred dollars while I was sleeping. That's insane. And then it was like uh the Chinese apps became like a really big deal at around that same time where Poker Master kind of blew up and just the changing of money from the people who were the portals to get into Poker Master to play those cash games and stuff, like Bitcoin just became you know high utility item back then and that was sort of like yeah let's yeah let's research let's try to understand at least the technology of like what's happening to see if this thing is like sustainable or even you know has a future in the world because it's still even today is very 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 early stages Absolutely. It is very early stages, uh, but uh, I, I do not suggest anyone to buy Bitcoin, but I suggest everyone to educate yourself on cryptocurrency because uh, a lot of smart people believe that uh, this technology is here to stay. Absolutely. So, the, the blockchain yeah. the blockchain is amazing. Like the blockchain technology is absolutely amazing. And I think there are many, many, many utilities that the human race can benefit from using the blockchain technology it's just it's very early on it's going to take a lot of time for things to you know get mature and figure out exactly how all these things work so let me ask you this question there's a carbon copy of you right and she's 20 years old she's wanting to get into poker today she asks you for advice and she's exactly like you so if you tell her don't get into poker, she's not going to listen to you. She's going to okay. she's going to do it, right? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what, what what do you tell young Lucy? Uh, 
play both sit and goes and tournaments. Do not only play tournaments <laughs> for, uh, uh, yeah, just uh, as a job. That's not a good idea. And you, even today, in, in today's day and age, you, you still believe that there's enough edge in sit and goes to yes. make, make a living. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. That, that's great to hear, actually. A little bit surprising that after all this time, there's still the well, money to be made well, in the goes. You have to game select again. Game selection is very important. You have to look for software platforms. Uh, yeah, you, you have to uh, kind of be, kind of study one specific game and just uh, play that where you're an expert because, you know, the ICM uh, stuff changes a lot from, from format to format. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's another thing that, like, if I were to sit myself down, would be to try many platforms and test out as many as you possibly can to kind of see how the games are across the board. Don't just get married to one platform. Um, and also, another good reason for not getting married to one platform is you can have your money diversified in the case that one of them kind of disappears overnight. I, I think that, like, having all of your eggs in one poker platform basket as it relates to the United States market specifically is probably yeah. not the best of ideas. Yes. I think uh, we all have PTSD from Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. I will never, I mean, that lasted, I didn't play online poker after Black Friday for at least three years. Like it was uh -oh. straight live poker. Like I just didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to even look at the screen. Like I was so traumatized by it. You know, it, it, it was, I, I play poker. My dream was to play poker professionally and for a living. And I didn't realize I could get fired. Like I didn't realize like it could just be taken away from me. And when I did realize that I, I was probably a little bitter. I was probably a little like, I don't want to mess with this world anymore. And, you know, just did the live thing for a long time. Yeah. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Okay, so what do you what what do you think is something that folks who are chasing their poker dream don't spend enough time thinking about? Well, it, it depends because everybody's poker dream is different, probably, right? So maybe so, what your dream is? Yeah. Um, well, uh, the thing thing is, just like I said, the freedom that uh, poker gives you is priceless. And uh, if you if you're willing to just learn either cash games or sit and goes, you can just make a living with those at some at some point, depending on how much effort you put in and so on. Right? Uh, I think so. I mean, it, it's going to depend a lot on 
RTA and computing over the next five years as it relates to the viability of cash games for the long term? Because I think that there's some potential for bad stuff as it relates to the cash game world um, with bots and real-time assistance and all of that thing, especially as you play like the bigger stakes cash games. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm a little concerned about the future of cash game, like 100 big blind cash game over the long term. These platforms really need to start thinking outside the box and coming up with different formats that are harder for a bot to learn and execute in real time. Well, uh, then I suggest you you guys go for sit and goes instead <laughs> if you consider yeah. going for poker. Cause... Yeah, go go for the sit and goes. Live poker, though, I think live poker is always going to be great. Like live poker, there's always a space in the world for live cash yeah. game. Those yes. games, like you, you can, playing 2-5, you ought to be able to make 40 to $50 an hour playing 2-5 live cash games. And, you know, that's not a bad hourly rate. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. Uh, it's just for me, uh, I'm very big on a healthy lifestyle type of stuff. So therefore, that was another really big incentive for me to want to look uh, elsewhere, you know, because uh, especially since I'm in Europe playing tournaments on the European schedule, you, I went to bed at around 3, 4 a.m. for many years. And after a while, you don't want to do that anymore. No, you don't. I I can say that for a decade, if I saw 8 a.m., it was because I hadn't gone to sleep. Like there was <laughs> never a day where I woke up before 8 a.m. Like I, I know when I was playing home games and a lot of live poker, like I would sleep until 3 or 4 p.m. and wake up and play until, you know, 9 or 10 in the morning. And that's not that's not a life that I want to live. I would rather make less money um, living a, a more normal lifestyle than that. Exactly. That that's just very unhealthy to do, and uh, you you can you can only get away with it when you're in your twenties. But after that, it gets harder and harder. Yeah. Trust trust us. Uh, trust me. <laughs> Thirty thirty seven now. I think, and <laughs> it does get harder and harder. Um, <laughs> what's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? That you should should be disciplined and uh, kind of play the uh, the edges that are recommended, you know, <laughs> kind of tighter edges. I always advocated uh, a more loose style. Why? Why more loose? Uh, well, since I'm barely playing poker anymore, I'm I'm just gonna uh, give you <laughs> my biggest secret. <laughs> Uh, so uh, basically, uh, I, I'm really big on poker tracker reports. I, I, I always was. I think that's a very useful uh, for uh, analysis and for study. So uh, you can uh, you can go really specific in those, and you can uh, select for a specific position a hand cluster of hands, right? So uh, let's say you select for cutoff uh, hands like. Uh, Queen five off, king deuce off, nine six off, nine five off, eight three suited. You, bad hands, bad mm-hmm. hands that you're not supposed to open in the cutoff, right? Well, not supposed to. I put in quotes because like every everything is a model, right? Yeah, yeah, basically that. So uh, you you select those, you select cutoff, and then uh, you select your tournament format. 
because what I say kind of applies to tournaments, uh, I am very much aware that you really are supposed to play significantly tighter in cash games because antis are a really big difference, big incentive to play more loose in tournaments. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So when you check for that report, uh, if you're going to see that with, uh, well, I mean, you're, you're pro- people that never opened those hands in those positions in the cutoff, in my cutoff example, they're not going to find anything. But since I did open them <laughs> and, yeah. and, I, and I did select them, what I noticed was that uh, I lose less uh, than minus 13 BB per 100. Because if I always folded them, I would lose about minus 13 BB per 100 because it's uh, 12% antis and uh, the big blind and the small blind, something like that, yeah? Mm-hmm. So basically, if you manage to, uh, to, to play some hands, some weak hands in these posi- positions and lose less than, what, what, than folding them, you're, you're better off opening them, you know? Because that, uh, that's what people have a hard time understanding, I think, that the value of folding in tournaments is not zero. It's that minus 12 BB per 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the small blind, right? Like you fold the small blind 100 uh, times out of 100, you're, you're no, losing. No, it's the, it's the antis. It's the antis. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm, I'm saying in like the cash game setting, it's like the, the small blind. If you fold it over time, it's worth uh, minus oh, yeah, 50 yeah. BBs per yeah, 100, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the antis aspect of it, which this is another bone I have to pick with the platforms in the USA, like it's been shown that in cash games on the apps, the antis are really, really good for the game because number one, they punish the nits. When you play fewer hands, you get naturally punished and it's not as bad for the... Uh, you know, the fish or the recreational players, because you're supposed to play more hands and they do that naturally. And like why a poker platform hasn't started running six max cash games with antis, I'll never know, but I love the format and and you're absolutely right. Like when you do fold, there is a cost when there is an anti, which dramatically changes the strategy. Exactly. Exactly. So you realize like basically you're opening eight trays suited. That's your that that that's the uh, what you learned from the all the database, the filters. You basically created a a much looser model. Uh, I I'm not that much into models. I'm uh, I, I I know uh, that you uh, you're not into Sims uh, much either. Though I did them, uh, but like uh, uh, yeah. So I'm not into models. I'm a field player. So basically, there are situations where you're supposed to open eight receipted on the cutoff, but of course, not always, right? Well, I've so as I learn more about coaching people, right? I, I ask sort of fundamental questions to myself. Is like, as I've mentioned before, this is very embarrassing to say, but like for twelve or thirteen years, I never even asked like why I have my preflop strategy, like why I do the things that I do. I just did them, right? And as I learn more and more, I just realized like, oh, I've basically, whether consciously or subconsciously, I've created a model for my cash game preflop strategy. And then I just execute it when I'm at the tables. And so like now I sort of frame things in that way. Like, okay, this is the model that I use. What does optimal model look like? And then compare the two. And then nowadays I, I'm really exploring my curiosity and kind of doing 
weird things that nobody really does to kind of see how they perform versus the more standard preflop models that folks use. And it's, it's very interesting. Like I, I've learned some very, very interesting things. Like I played recently like 3000 hands at 200 no limit where I never raised ever with any part of my range. I never three bet. I never opened. I limped. I called raises from the small blind. I did all the things that like you're supposed to not do. And I just wanted to learn like, is for, if performed well, is this a viable cash game strategy? And what was most interesting was that it was, I ended up winning over those few uh, thousand hands at, at 200 no limit. And what I realized was like players, when, when good players do things that other good players don't understand, they don't have a set strategy. When they don't have a set strategy, they just kind of wing it and do like what feels right. You know, it's like I limp under the gun with the same exact range that I would open with. And then the cutoff will ISO to like six big blinds with like King 10 off. Right. And it's like, Hmm, that's interesting. Like if I were to open under the gun, the cutoff would never call with King 10 off. And yet here we are where I limp and now they're putting in a lot of money and we had the same exact ranges, right? And a bigger pot. Um, and that was like just a really interesting experience, experiment that, that I tried. And I think that like what I'm learning is that when players are going towards the dogmatic GTO model and they have a process for understanding lines and understanding all the different sizes. And when you do something that is not covered in their studying and their model, they get real confused because now they have to logic their way through it. They have to figure it out, right? That they're no longer just following a set path. And I think that anytime you can get players to not follow that set path, to get them off of what, where they're comfortable and where they know what's going on, there's room to capture a lot of EV. But the beauty of poker is like, there's a, a spectrum of sizes, a spectrum of actions. And yeah there's a lot of room to explore those sort of curiosities. And yeah, that, that's why I love the game. You know, I've been playing it my whole adult life for 16 years and, or 17 years now and still experimenting um, from like <laughs> the first decision in the tree and learning new things that I had never really considered before. And that's, that, that's just really fun to me. I got to say, I really admire you for that, for uh, specifically the limping uh, experiment, because uh, I, re I recall your episode when you were talking about watching Kevin Rabichow limp from the bottom, and you're like, what What the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. <laughs> right. And uh, stuff like that happened to me also. Of course, I mean, it happened to all of us. But uh, specifically, this limping thing, uh, I am aware that uh, really smart players experiment with it. I just couldn't get myself to do it. It's just, I'm just not comfortable doing it. And there's also, I'm on the, on the dog polk camp side with that, that just, it's it's really hard to kind of balance a limping range and it's just too easier to just be raising or folding. That was why I never three bet. Like that was why I never opened. I had no aggressive pre-flop action because I didn't want to balance my limp raises. Like I didn't want to balance anything. I just wanted to see like, if I never raise, what happens? Another, a really interesting part of it is like, when you never open free and you never three bet, like 
it's really hard for the money to get in. <laughs> it's actually very rare for all of yeah, the money to that, get in because there's so many bets. That's the, that's the problem, you see. Uh, I mean, there's many problems with that. And while you're a stellar player that you managed to win during your experiment, the thing is, uh, is the same with my example with uh, the opens in the cutoff. Uh, extremely more likely that uh, playing uh, with raising, you would have one just one more. more right, exactly. Would have performed session. better. And yeah. there were very, very obvious flaws as I was doing it um, that I learned. And it was basically like, can I take something away from this that I can add into my game that I think will perform better than opening, right? I think there were things that I could take away from it. Um, but yeah, there were some clear, there were some clear <laughs> bad constructions with never opening. I remember one hand specifically, a student of mine who's now a crusher, I, I was telling him about it and he's like, ah, I want to sweat. I want to watch you play. I want to see it, see what happens. So we're on a Zoom call and he's like watching and I limped with jacket suited from the small blind. And the big blind, it was one, two. So I limp for $2 and he makes it like 14. And I was like, man, screw this guy. Like, I know he's doing this ultra wide. Like, it's so bluff heavy. Like, I'm just going to go away from it. Like this, I can't do it. I can't just call. And so I limp raised with the jack eight. And like, he snapped four bet me. <laughs> like, it was like everything that I deserved. I, I deviated from my model. Cause I just couldn't take it for one hand. And then he just snap punished me. And I was like, okay, that's what I deserve. But yeah, there's, there were some clear spots where there were holes, but it was a fun experiment. And I think that like, you know, I Googled it too. I, I Googled like, has anybody ever just not raised preflop with any hand? And there was a thread on two plus two that was probably five years old. Somebody suggested it. And it was just like 20 pages of everybody calling them an idiot. <laughs> that was, that was the full extent of the theory. Um, oh, but yeah, I think like just explore your curiosity and you may be giving away some EV, but you're learning. Right. And I think that like poker for me is fun when I'm learning. That's why I fell in love with the game because it was such a fun thing to learn. And there's so many different options to make decisions and so many different places to grow. And, um, when you stop growing and stop learning, you know, I think that's when, you know, the magic kind of ends for the game. That's when you start trying to find something else to s spend your time doing. Yeah, uh, it, it is a really fun game. Uh, uh, I expected that uh, once in a while I get the, the tournament bug and I want to I play some because uh, tournaments are really fun. Yeah, sure. and I'm sure you will, right? Like, Yeah, you, yeah absolutely. But I, I did play recently uh, for like 10 days during some series. I, I did play uh, during series. I kind of, I mean, I played during series pretty much. Why wouldn't you, right? Like you, yeah. you see your friends, you get to get to play and have fun. Oh, and... Well, no, I, I meant online series. Oh, the season. online series. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, this year, no live series for... Uh, for. <laughs> yeah, this, this year is an out, outlier year, I hope. Yeah. Um, it's been a really, really odd year, but okay. So Lucy, we'll, we'll get into the lightning round questions here, heading towards the end. If you could gift all poker players, one book to read, doesn't have to be about poker. What book would it be? Uh, so, uh, I want to, I want to recommend a book that hasn't been recommended many, many times. I expect that thinking in fast and low has been recommended many, many times. So uh, then it's going to be, uh, 
even if I'm aware we're subject to recency bias, and this is what I'm reading now, I swear it is an extremely smart book. Uh, it's called Scale by Geoffrey West. And uh, it analyzes fractals and power load distributions from uh, medicine dosage to lifespan of companies. It's really, really interesting book. It sounds very math heavy, <laughs> just yeah. from, from well, the description. It, no, it is, but it's not that math heavy, like seriously. I it's, mean, it's consumable it's, by. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's, he's a, phys- a physicist, but he definitely uh, makes it. Uh, uh, so that uh, everyone everyone can read it pretty much. Awesome. So scale. That's that yeah. sounds sounds like a great book. And speaking of your you know your biases, be, besides scale, what actions have you taken to you know kind of overcome, push through your human biases? Well, uh, we can't really totally overcome them, right? Sure. Of course uh, not. So. Uh, uh, well, so yeah, for the trading thing, uh, the solution is going to be with the automation because this will, when yeah, this will take away the emotion part for uh, for me. And uh, I don't know, just basic stuff like do meditation and breathing. Do not do not uh, do not get into negotiation or conversation when you're mad. Uh, just wait one more day. The basic stuff like that, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And just having an awareness that you are mad, right? Like, yeah. I think that's, that's sort of step one. Like most, most of us, you know, go through the day and like we snap at somebody, we're irritated and like, we don't even realize how close to the edge we are until we do snap. And I think that's, I think everybody can relate to that, right? Just yeah, doing things that are out of character and things that we regret. And yeah, I think meditation is huge to just gain an awareness that like, yeah, it's okay to feel angry. It's an emotion. Like, however, you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to destroy all your relationships in the world when you feel angry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more on that. I'm curious. Uh, did you manage to do that guided mushroom trip that you were talking about in one of your episodes? The guided mushroom. mushroom. Trip. No, I yeah. haven't done it yet. And no. where where I'm at, it's not legal, and I haven't been able to travel all year. But yeah. I'm actively I'm, I'm going to do it i'm actively trying to figure out ways to get a hold of the mushrooms so that i can do it but then i also have to you know find the guide and do all the stuff the right way and this pandemic is it, pandemic complicates things for me uh specifically for, for, for all of us for sure <laughs> yeah but it's on it's on the agenda it's something that i'm going to do and acevedo acevedo talked about dmt too and he he sold dmt really hard to me and now now i want to try dmt as well okay um if you could wave a magic wand change one thing about poker what would it be i would just get rid of all the cheating i guess right with the bots and the stuff you mentioned before in in game assistance you are the first person to say that which is shocking to me um, that you're the first person because that's <laughs> when, as soon as you said it, like, yeah, of course this resonates with me 1000%. And I don't know, I've spent so much time trying to figure out, um, security systems and measures and things that could be done. And it is so, so, so hard for somebody that is hell bent on cheating 
it is so hard to prevent them from doing it. Like without, without really bad penalties, jail, jail time, really severe real world penalties. When, when we're in an unregulated market, especially like in the U S what are you going to do? Like, there's nothing you can do. Even if you can prove it, it's like at the discretion of the poker site. And then like, wow, who cares? Right? Like, Oh, somebody gets their balance confiscated. Like, it, the punishment is not severe enough, and that's ultimately what I feel is necessary to, you know, to cut down on a lot of the cheating. Well, the thing is, well, actually, what I had in mind, because I I was kind of aware of what you said, it's extremely hard to figure out who's cheating and who's not. I'm I actually think it's the sites that should take care and invest a lot in security and in technology to make sure that bots are not allowed and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, it's the sites, and that's the problem. Is that there's a there's you know some sites out there where bots have been a problem for a very long time, and it was very obvious to me that bots were a problem. I mean, back in 2005 when I was playing on Ultimate Bet, like there were bots. I played against a bot every day. They would win like the rake leaderboard. They were like a short stacking bot who played 12 to 16 tables a day for you know 12 to 14 hours every single day. Like it's very. Very obvious they were a bot. They even got caught one time because their bot was running while they were playing in a tournament that they won the seat at through like the rake leaderboard. <laughs> so like, the, uh, and the dude told like, I remember I had a VIP host. His name is Victor for UB. And he told Victor that he taught his mom how to play in the same style. And his mom was at home playing the, the 12 to 16 tables while he was, <laughs> while he was right. in the tournament. And like, that's the problem, right? He's on yeah. top of the rake leaderboard, which means he's very uh, monetarily profitable for ultimate yeah. bet. And yeah. it reduces their incentive to kick him off when he's generating so much rake on a month-to-month basis. This this indeed is the problem, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an incentive thing. And like the amount of money they have to spend on security is a lot of money. So it's basically spending a lot of money to cost yourself a lot of money and poker platforms, you know, they don't care. It's just yeah, whatever to them. So yeah, it's that to me is priority number one for any site is like need amazing security and need to take care of the players, like need to celebrate the players. I hate the way that things have gone in the poker world of, you know, fuck the pros and everything like to me. And I tweeted this the other day that the pros are the most valuable resource of any site. and. I 1000% believe that because they represent the dream. They represent the possibility. People play poker, recreational players play so that they can get better because of the competitive aspect, so that they can become a winning player, so that they can make a little bit of money through their hobby. And you can't kick off winning players just because they're winning. Else, what's the incentive to become a winning player? Yeah. You become a winning player and you get kicked off. <laughs> that's, not a good, that's not a good dream to drive people in and yeah, platforms, something's changed over the last decade where they've lost sight of that. And it's all about, it's just all about like daily monetary gain without any sort of thought as to the long-term, long-term perspective. And I I hope it changes. I, I don't know that it will in the near future, but I think there's opportunity for it to change. But yeah, I, what are your thoughts on all that? 
Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's what you said. Uh, sadly, everybody just uh, chases uh, short-term profits, and uh, that's why they do not get out of their way to punish the cheaters and uh, ban the bots. And it is what it is. Th that's why, if you ask me, if I had the magic wand, what I would do? Yeah, absolutely. Get get rid of it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, going back to the UB scandal, right? Like, Ultimate Bet didn't uncover that ultimate bet didn't expose it two plus two did right like two plus two players are the one who uncovered that scandal where you know russ hamilton took like 60 or 70 million dollars off of ultimate bet and just disappeared into the world he's still playing in games somewhere in the united states like to this day never oh, yeah. received any penalty for anything and like ub oh, didn't wow. figure it out the players did and, and like to me that's so shameful like can you imagine a professional sport where the players are responsible for discovering the cheating and the league doesn't care. I mean, yeah, it's a bit sad. Yeah. We, we can do better. Like I, I just, I believe that we, we can do better as a, as an industry. All right. My rant is over now slash rant. Uh, <laughs> if you could put up a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does it say? It's create action to get action. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> be aggressive get in there mix it uh, up right play right, cards right you you just sit there waiting for a hit but sometimes you just gotta make something happen right yeah <laughs> we don't get excited to go sit down at the poker table so that we can fold for three hours straight <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly no but uh seriously because uh i i told you i played cash games for uh, uh for a few times and once i was uh playing live and in between two tournaments i sat on the live to five tables for some reason i couldn't i never could get myself to play uh, cash games or lose either online nor live and i, I fall for like 1.5 hours or something or probably played one hand or something and then i get uh, i get queens and i and uh, i open i get three bet uh, i four bet and the guy says you have kings or queens <laughs> and it gets away i mean it's annoying uh, it's not being the table and it is no fun because when you do actually get a hand, yeah, people yeah, that, know you have a hand. That's sort of like the knit thought, right? It's like, you just wait until I have it. I'm going to get you. Like you keep raising me. I'm going to get you when I have it. And then they get it <laughs> and they just fold and they're like, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> that did not yeah. go the way that I imagined. Exactly. Um, I have no doubt though, that it, if you would have, if you would have invested yourself fully into cash games that you could have, you could have made it work. Like cash games are not, they're they're tricky, but they're, they're it's a learnable thing. No, no, I I believe that. Uh, but like, they're not as fun after you start by playing sit and goes in tournaments. They're just not as fun. <laughs> yeah, but the thousand dollar or the thousand buy and downswing sound. Yeah, yeah, those are really not fun. Not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sure. see what you're saying, but oh, I can't even imagine a thousand buy and yeah, multi table it, downswing. No, it's a way better life to be a cash game grinder for sure. It, it, it's a good life. You just take breaks whenever you want to. You just take breaks whenever you want to. It's even way more flexible than sit and goes. It, yeah, it, it's awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's always appealed to me. The tournament side has, I've seen it. I, I've like, just imagined how it goes. And whew, that's a life. That's, that's a tough life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, talking uh, more about that uh, uh, tournament downswings, I, I was talking to some friend 
when I started uh, coaching, I mean, I did coaching years back, but I started again last year. So uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, all my programs work okay. And I uh, I talked to a friend and I, and I told him, can you watch me not lock this thing to make sure that I do it right and stuff. And uh, after that, uh, I asked him, how are you doing? And uh, I was going and said, well, I'm kind of break even this year on Poker Stars. And I asked him, well, how many games you played? And I checked him. He It was like 7K games, so kind of steady volume. And the uh, guy was making 14 BD per 100 uh, during that year on Poker Stars. Yeah, so winning 14 BD per 100, yet still losing. Uh, I mean, still not making money during that year on Poker Stars, on like 7K games. I don't understand the BB per 100 as it relates to tournament. That doesn't... For some reason, I don't understand that as a metric for how you're playing. I mean, cash game is very obvious, like 14 BB per 100. But like, well, as it yeah, relates to tournaments, like, how, how is it different than like ROI? Okay, so well, BB per 100 is the same BB per 100 that, that you know. It says, that, that's what it says. However, of course, during, uh, during a tournament, that, that's an average, right? So basically... Uh, if you win way more in the first and mid stages and a uh, bit less in the last stages, it's going to be the average of that. But even that, because I actually checked for uh, my on my own stats, I checked to see if I actually make less during late stages. But no, I actually make a bit more, which suggests I do not meet up when I get down to 40 players. Uh, but so... Be, winning 14 BB per 100 is huge, right? For the yeah, guy. It, it, it's big. But but myself, I didn't have that, but I still had like nine BB per 100 and I and I still and still break even for over one year, you know? There's so, not a cash game player, I think, that runs at nine BBs per 100 in cash and breaks even over a year. I, yeah, I, yeah. That, that's the problem because in tournaments, it is possible because you simply have to just get lots of ninth uh, sixth, thirteenth, twentieth place. Uh, you just get lots of those in, instead of uh, one, two, and three for a really long time, and this happens. Yeah, you 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 have to run well at the final table. Like you have to run well when it matters the most. And if you don't, yeah. if you don't, then life is tough. Yeah. Um, Lucy, do you have any projects you're working on right now that are near and dear to your heart besides your your automated crypto? training bot uh well uh i guess uh, professionally yeah that's it and uh, like i said i'm really excited about it uh i plan to start a small fund with friends stuff like that and more on a personal level uh i'm gonna get more serious about well n- not really i'm just i'm just gonna take part in some uh running uh races uh in the mountains this year for the first time uh so. y- have you ever ran like do you enjoy running well, not exactly, but like uh, <laughs> short distance. It's going to be short distance. I, I, I am doing, I am going to the gym a lot. Well, I used to before uh, before the pandemics, and now I'm doing lots of yoga at home. I still uh, went out for short runs. Uh, it's like six miles, seven miles. So that that's not long by any means. So Yeah, I, I think that's, that's all about perspective, six or seven miles. I, I think six, six or seven miles, I would die literally just be dead on the side of the road i think no way <laughs> actually like running long distances has always been the thing that 
it's my Achilles heel. Like I'm no, 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 no. Short distance, six, six or seven miles is long yeah. to me. That is long. No, that is a I... long distance. Like I'm no. like hundred yard dash, um, <laughs> built for quick movements, uh, long distance. I just fall apart. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that's great. Uh, running, running through the mountains. I'm sure that'll be a good change of scenery from the past year and going through this pandemic and, uh, yeah. yeah, wish you the best of luck with your fund. That's exciting. I'm excited for you and certainly excited to see how it turns out. And, um, you know, final question for, for you on the show, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find more about you on the World Wide Web? Uh, well, it's just my name on Twitter and Facebook. Sadly, I'm not that active on Twitter. Well, not on Facebook, but on Twitter even less so. Yeah, I, in general, did not put much time into social media. As I, uh, I'm sure you're very much aware, it takes quite a lot of time to take care of uh, that stuff. <sighs> yes, it doesn't happen overnight. It's... Uh... Yeah, uh, especially yeah. like starting a poker podcast and being like a cash game player who doesn't know anybody and has never heard of the tournament people. Like literally, you know, I like solve for why Matt Berkey, I respect a ton and Berkey's coming back on the show for round two very soon. And I didn't know who Berkey was. I didn't know who anybody was because like I just grinded cash anonymously, didn't pay attention to poker Twitter, didn't go to message boards. And so I had no idea who anybody was. And I think that like, as it relates to, you know, raising money for your fund and stuff like this, you know, your network is going to be a very valuable resource um, towards getting that going. Well, yeah, but you say that, but uh, you kind of booked amazing guests. I mean, you say you didn't have much connections, but uh, you booked uh, amazing guests. You did a great job. But that's how it happens, right? Like that's how you get the connections. You, you know, you have Elliot Rowe on and Elliot Rowe talks to Fedor and then Fedor comes on. Right. Yeah. And then people see that Fedor is on and then Galfond comes on. And like, once you have Galfond on, it's like, Oh, all the people are like cool with coming on once they see Galfond. It just, it builds over time, you know, as you gain credibility and kind of respect and you have, have a lot of episodes. I think that I guess people listen and enjoy, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's a work in progress. You know, it just, I've been at this for a year and a half and started from ground zero. And I would say that for anybody, it's possible, you know, like you can do it. You just have to put in the work and do a lot of cold outreach, which by the way, is not the most fun thing in the world, but it's a necessary evil. You have to, you have to be ready to, to just be turned down and just uh, keep on trying and message uh, 10 more people and somebody has to say yes at some point and eventually I'll feel sorry for you like (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's it's not like poker though right the downside is just a no no down yeah exactly almost no downside to ask you just have to ask the right people get it connected to the right crowd and then they refer you to their friends especially to have a good experience. And then that's how, you know, that's how you get the the bigger guests in, in a, whatever niche you're in. You've kind of built a, uh, an amazing uh, audience and uh, you, you put up great content only in 1.5 years. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you, Lucy. you I much it. work, I think. Oh, you, nobody knows. Nobody <laughs> knows the amount. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, but I, I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm super happy that things have gone the way they are and 
I wish you the best of luck uh, with your automated bot. And I, you know, you're obviously a, a brilliant human being. And I'm sure that when you turn the lights on, it's going to go well. And I'm sure you'll have things that don't go so well, but it's all part of the learning process, right? It's a journey. It's going to be really exciting. For sure. And take care. And we'll be happy to have you on, you know, to learn more about what's going on. Because I, I don't know about the listener. They'll have to, you know, you'll have to give me feedback as it relates to like the crypto world. But it's exciting to me. You know, it did just that space. It's very new. It's very exciting. So many thanks, Brad. I really enjoyed this conversation. Many my thanks pleasure. for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.